the 11th of January, 2007, episode 62. The Rookie Designer, with your host, Adam Hay. Let's take a look at the starting lineup. When we last talked, we were in the middle of a high-profile freelance design job, and normally we wouldn't take a two-week break right in the middle, but sometimes you just need a vacation, right? Seriously though, last time we got to the point of having our clients sign a contract and satisfy our request for a deposit. Today we're going to finish the rest of the steps of completing the job and providing the client with a superior product. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. First of all, I hope everybody had a good holiday season. That is, if you did observe a holiday season as I did. I know I took the time to get absolutely nothing done. I had all these big plans, as I usually do on a vacation where I'm going back to visit my family, you know, because after a couple of days you get tired of everybody and you want to go do something. So I had all these plans of working on some freelance jobs, and I took a bunch of books and magazines, and I was finally going to get to do those tutorials in them, and I ended up doing almost nothing at all. I did get to play with uh, Photoshop CS3 a little bit, so that was good. Learned a couple of things in that, and I'll be sharing some of those secrets. They're not really secrets, but sharing some of those new features in Quick Tips for Designers, and that is back up and going now. First, The first release of that was yesterday. So uh, please go check that out. I was also picked up for the the ad that I was running before. I was running ads for Hitachi on Quick Tips, and I got picked up for the month of January on that as well. So please, if you watch that, make sure you go and download the episodes that will be coming out in January. And I think it's going to be the last one that I did. I think I'm going to release one tomorrow as well. That'll be a Mac Tips. And then there will be two more with that ad campaign. So please... Help me out and make sure you download those because, again, I get paid based on how many people download it. So you'll be helping me out if you go there and get it. And if you haven't checked out Quick Tips yet, if maybe you're a new listener to this show, please check it out. Do yourself a favor. What it is is another podcast. It's video. It's video of the screen of me going through different tutorials in design applications. So if that sounds enticing to you, go check it out. You can find that at rookiedesigner.com slash quicktips. So, it's a new year, and I'm looking for a big year this year in Rookie Designer. 2006 was a very good year for the podcast. Uh, We did a lot of things. It wasn't the first year. It actually started in 2005, but it started very late in that year. So, 2006 was the first full year, and I think we got some good things accomplished. We increased our listener base by quite a bit. Um, We covered some very good topics, I think. We had people sending in tons of great topics for me to go over. Had a couple of contests, so hopefully things are looking up for this year. I'm looking for some some big stuff to happen. Maybe get back into the advertising arena a little bit. But if we don't, that's no biggie either. Uh, there is some um, upcoming press coverage that's going to be about Ricky Designer. Or actually, I don't know how much it's going to be about this podcast, but I, I kind of had some input on a couple of articles that are coming out in Design Magazine. So I'll let you know when I get more details on that. Uh, but I can always use your help. That that part hasn't changed. I'm still going to initiate the uh, Tell-A-Friend program. So please tell your friends about this podcast if they don't know, if they have any interest in design whatsoever. Let them know that we're here. 
let them try it out and see if they like it. If you have coworkers or friends in school, anybody that you talk to that you think might be helped out by this podcast, please let them know. And also, if you have any ties to media coverage at all, if you know people who write for websites or magazines, papers, anything, even zines or anything, it doesn't how, matter how big or how small, we can always use coverage. So uh, just start mentioning it to everybody you can. One thing you notice that's changed on the website is there is now a PayPal donate button. And I know back whenever it was, very early in the podcast, I said I didn't want to be one of those people that is begging people for money or asking for people for money. And I still feel that I'm not that person. The reason I did this is I actually had people email me and ask if there was a way that they could donate money to the podcast. So I have put this button up. It is only for people who wish to do this. This is strictly voluntary. Obviously, it's not mandatory. This show is free and it always will be free. But this is a way, if you feel that you want to help me out monetarily, help out the podcast, help out what we're doing here, this is a way for you to do it. So I set up a PayPal account. If you click on that button, you'll be able to donate whatever amount you want. However big or small, it will definitely help. But uh, if you feel that that's something you want to do, then please go ahead and do it. If not, don't worry about it. You don't ever have to. Uh, you don't ever have to look at it. <laughs> but I, I just don't want to come off as as being. There are some shows out there that constantly, every single week, they're like, you know, please donate money to this podcast, and I'm not going to do that. I just want you to know that it's there. If you want to help me out, if you want to send some money, uh, I definitely won't reject it. But uh, strictly voluntary. Anyway, that's enough on that. The other new thing on the website is there's a new template for our forum. And I didn't just do this to be all cutesy. And I've already got a couple of complaints because things look different. Some buttons are in different places than they were before. And it is kind of annoying. I will agree with that. But the reason I did this is the old template that I used, it didn't have something called visual confirmation. And that's something that, that occurs when you sign up for to be a, a member of the forums. And basically, I know you've seen this before. It's like the letters that are all kind of jumbled up and they have lines going through them and it's an image. And the reason they do that is there's things called robots. And this is what spammers use. They, they send out the robots and the robots can automatically sign up for forums or for other things. And that's how we get like 10 million spammers up there with like all kinds of links to like porn and investment and all that kind of stuff. So with this visual confirmation, it makes it harder for the robots. They say impossible for the robots to do it because you actually have to be a human looking at the screen to see what that Im what the letters in that image are. So that's the main reason I did that. Now, it's not going to entirely get rid of all spammers. And plus, we already have a bunch of spammers that are still on there that just may have not posted anything yet. So we, we work every week uh, with lots of help from Kitty sends me big lists of people to ban or get off of the forum because they post spam. But it is going to help. It should hopefully help. And I've already seen it uh, curbing a lot of that activity, a lot of the, the uh, spammers that were signing up for the forum. So hopefully that'll help. And I'm sorry for the inconvenience, but you know I, I can't really do anything about that. I don't write PHP myself. If there's somebody out there who's a PHP guru and you'd like to... Uh, volunteer some time to move some buttons around or something, that's fine with me. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's good enough. It'll work. So you just got to get used to it. 
There is a bit of industry news, and you probably heard this because I know it was even on my local news, but um, Apple has come out with a couple new products, and they are in, in some ways pretty revolutionary products. So the first one is called Apple TV, and this is kind of like a receiver for your TVs where you can send stuff from your computer and view it on your TV. And uh, I believe it comes with a remote also. But basically, if you're one of those people who goes up to iTunes or goes to other websites and downloads music and full-length movies and TV shows and all that kind of stuff, and you have this stockpiled on your computer and you don't want to watch it on your computer, this is a way for you to send it to your TV. So basically, it sends it uh, over 802.11. It sends it wirelessly to the Apple TV unit, which looks very much like a Mac Mini and that Apple TV unit is connected to your TV, and then you get to watch it on there. I believe it has a whole interface to actually click through the different items that you have, and then you can watch it, and everything's great. That I have been reading about for a couple of months. That that wasn't huge news. The big news is the iPhone. And this is, uh, in my estimation, a pretty amazing product. And there's lots of different things that are amazing about it. They said they have over 200 patents on it. And basically, it is a cell phone, but it's a cell phone that also includes an iPod, which plays both music and video. It also has a full web browser to it. You can get emails on it. You can. It has Google Maps on it. Uh, it has all kinds of stuff. Now, the first thing you're going to notice about this thing is it doesn't have any plastic buttons on it. It's got a very large screen that takes up pretty much the whole thing, and it's all touchscreen. So when you're dialing, when you're choosing music... Everything is touchscreen, and one of one of, a couple of very cool things about it, uh, they they came up with these new technologies to where when you're browsing through your music, if you have a long list, you're just going to take your finger and start at the bottom and swipe it up to the top, and that moves the list up. It's kind of like scrolling with your finger. Uh, the other thing is this thing also does photos. So they introduced this thing called the pinch. So basically, you would have your your pointer finger and your thumb right next to each other, touch the screen, and then move them away from each other. And that would enlarge the image. Or if you move them back closer to each other, that would shrink the image. So some very cool technology in there. Uh, lots and lots of cool things about this, which I could go on and on about. But you should really just go to the Apple website and check out the... They have a demonstration on their website. They also have a video of the keynote speech which if you watch that, there's all kinds of demos in there. It's very cool stuff. So if you're interested in that at all, check it out. If you listen to any tech podcast, you're probably going to be hearing all about this. So I'm not going to go into major detail, but very exciting stuff, very cool stuff. And uh, well, it it brings up a couple of things, you know, is this where the iPod is going? Is is it going to be eventually that every iPod is a phone? And I, I talked about the Zune before the break, and how cool I thought that was. It's got the widescreen. It's got a nice interface to it. And then Apple comes out with this and it's it's almost one-upping them again. Because with this thing, you can watch video on it. And if you're holding like a regular phone, it'll it'll be small. It'll look like that. But if you turn it, all you have to do is turn it sideways. And then it moves the video into widescreen. Or it moves your web pages into widescreen so you can see them better. Very cool stuff. Anyways, that is the news for today. So now that we have our contract and deposit, it's time to actually start the project. So step number one, and this is a big step number one, don't make a mistake 
by turning on your computer, opening up a blank document in Photoshop or Illustrator or InDesign, and just staring at that and thinking that that's the way you're going to get ideas for making your project. That is the absolute worst way that you can start a project. So please don't do that. Each project should start with research. And we talked in the last episode about research when we were first talking about doing a job for a certain company, we're going to research that company and figure out different things about them, about who their audience is, their target audience, about what kind of message they're trying to send out, what kind of culture is associated with that company, all those types of things, what kind of products and services they're trying to sell, all that stuff. And if you did that research back then, this research is going to be much, much easier because that's the first half of that. You need to figure these things out before you start designing because you know you have to know how to design for their target audience, how to design for whatever product or service they're trying to render or sell. You have to know all these firsthand. The second piece to this is you need to do a little research about whatever piece it is you're trying to create. So by this, I mean, if you're making a brochure, you're going to go out and look at other brochures. If you're doing a website, you're going to look at other websites. And when you're doing this, let's say you're doing a brochure or a website for a bank. Now, there's a couple of different ways to look at this. If there, there is kind of a, a certain standard for bank websites or for bank brochures. So does your client want to stay with the trend and, and make something similar? If so, then yeah, you're going to go out and get brochures or look at websites from other banks and look at what they do and try to bring some of those qualities into the brochure that you're designing. If your client says, well, all these other banks do this stuff and it's pretty standard and we think it's pretty boring. We want to do something kind of outside the box. We want to really step it up and do something that's different. Then you're going to go out and you're going to look at these different brochures. Same thing. Look at the websites and say, okay, these are things, these are qualities that I don't want in this brochure because this is what everybody does. So a couple of different ways you can look at it there. Another thing is you might go out and get brochures from completely different industries. Maybe something that is a little more on the edge and that will help you to maybe borrow some qualities from that one to bring into your bank brochure or website to make it kind of go over the edge, to take it a step further and make it different than all the others. But it's always good to look at other examples of the actual piece that you're going to be doing because it can help you out in several different ways as we pointed out, but also many other ways as you'll see when you actually do it. This is also a time when I would ask for any last input or direction from the client. Now, if the client is the one who is directly working with you and they're the one who's deciding what this thing is going to look like, then that's who you're going to be talking to. You're going to go back to them and you're going to ask, is there any last thing? Is there something that you absolutely have to have in this piece? Because you don't want to start designing something that doesn't have that piece that they absolutely have to have because you're going to have to go back to the drawing board and get it back in there. Uh, also, if you may be working with a marketing person or someone else that they hired to kind of liaise in between, and you'll be working with them instead, of course, but that just depends on what, what the job is and who the client is. But a good time to ask for these things because you don't want to get halfway into your design and then they go, oh, well, I wanted this picture in there. I wanted this information in there and it's not there. So then you have to go back and do it again. Once you know what the function and the purpose of your piece is, from all your research and from finding out everything that they need, now it's time to brainstorm. And brainstorming is really something that 
is pretty general in nature. Everyone seems to have their own method. There isn't really a wrong way to do it. There are bad ways to do it. And one that comes to mind right off the bat is just saying to yourself that everything's in your head. Now, I think we all kind of walk around with ideas in our head all the time, and you can somewhat keep them organized, and you can somewhat remember them all, but at some point, you really need to get that down on paper for a couple of reasons. I do some of my best thinking when I'm laying down to go to sleep, and I've said this before, it's good to have a pad of paper and a pen or a pencil next to your bed. In case something comes to mind, you want to write that down, especially at that point, because you're probably about to fall asleep and you're going to forget it when you wake up in the morning. But also, you can only hold so many ideas in your brain without losing some. So make sure you get them out, and you'll be surprised once you get those ideas out of your head, down on paper, then it seems you have more room or something to actually think of new things. But this whole process of getting it down on paper will also help you to kind of morph those ideas into other ideas, and you'll end up with a lot of different selections to choose from. So... Lesson one there, I guess, is to make sure that you get the stuff down on paper somehow. Now, even before we get those ideas, we, of course, have to get inspired. And this was the topic of an earlier podcast, What Inspires You? And again, different things inspire different people. It could come from a myriad of different places. Some people like to look at books, books of artwork, uh, books of design, magazines, Some people just get it from nature, some things that you find in nature. A lot of stuff, a lot of actually organic things end up being played into design probably more than you know. I know a lot of uh, comic characters or video game characters, that kind of stuff, they, they include a lot of qualities of different organic beings, animals, plants, that kind of stuff. So you can really get your inspiration from many different things. Again, it's going to be different for everybody, but... uh, It's just something that should come to you naturally, I guess, and it'll really inspire those ideas. But the next piece, again, is trying to get those down on paper, and there's several ways to do this as well. You can do all kinds of charts or maps. Uh, Thumbnails is probably the biggest one for designers. That's, That's what I was taught in school. I think that's what most people are taught. And thumbnails, again, if you don't know, is is just a, a small visual representation of your idea, of your idea of a design. And the deal with thumbnails is they only have to make sense to you. Thumbnails are not something you're going to show to the client, and please don't ever show them to the client. Thumbnails are supposed to be very small, probably very messy little things. It's just a way for you to get your idea down on paper. You're not putting any detail into it at all. You're just getting the pieces of the design there so that you can go back and say, oh yeah, that's what I was going to do. These things are usually pretty ugly, so that's why you don't want to show them to the customer or the client because they might be scared if you show it to them, so uh, try not to do that. The other thing with thumbnails is to get down as many as you possibly can. Like I said, you're going to get these ideas. Once you get them down, new ideas are going to pop into your head, and the ideas that you already have are going to be able to be morphed into different variations. It might be a slight variation of your initial idea, but it's different, and it's something that that you're building on to maybe get to that final idea that that is the best one. But the more ideas that you have there, the better chance you're going to have of having a very successful design because you're having lots to choose from. If you only put down three different things, if you only have three ideas and you're picking from three, uh, you're just not going to get the same 
attributes, the same quality, the same thought process out of those three as you would if you took the time to do 20. It's not always the easiest thing to do. In fact, this is probably the hardest part about being a designer is coming up with those ideas, but not only coming up with them, but getting them out of your head and making it look like you thought it would initially look in your mind's eye. Once we get through that area, though, things start to pick up a little bit more. Now we're going to go into development. And development starts with narrowing down our options. If we do 20 thumbnails or 50 thumbnails, we have to go through and find the best ones. And some for some of these, this might be very easy. You're probably going to have ones that are just crap. And that's totally fine. That's fine if you have completely irrelevant answers in your thumbnail process for your design problem. It's going to happen every single time, but you have to get those out just to get them out of the way. But we're going to narrow this down and we're going to choose some different ideas. Now, I had an experience with a company that my full-time job uses. We actually go out and and get them to do some design projects for us sometimes, and, and they did our logo. And the first time they came back with the logos, I don't know, they gave us maybe five or seven, seven different choices, but... I'd say at least three or four of those were almost the same exact thing. It was just maybe tweaked just a little bit, or one was black and white and one was color. Don't do this stuff. You don't want things that are almost exactly the same. That's not going to help you. And when you're showing it to the client, that's not going to help you out at all because they don't want to see two of the same thing. That makes it look like you're not trying. It makes it look like you only have two ideas and one of them you really like, so you're going to put it in different colors and show it to show all of them to them. Don't do that. Try and choose different ones. Ones that, that, that maybe they, they're not completely different from each other, but there's significant differences in the design. Because what you're going to do with these is you're going to work these examples up. And you're going to take, I usually say about three to five. I usually try not to give the client too many things to look at because they're going to become confused by what they like and what they don't like. And they might try and take, you know, certain features of each of these things and put them all together in one. And it could be a big headache. So I, I usually try to choose not more than five. Some people probably do more, but that's just my personal preference. I do between three and five samples. And what we're going to do with these, we're going to make a rough draft of them. And with the rough draft, there's a couple different ways you can go. The way I was always taught, you draw this with pencil and paper, you do a marker comp, you ink it, you do it on paper somehow because you can do them very quickly and efficiently. And the one thing to add right here is if you're not a super good artist, if you don't draw well, that's not a problem. You do want these things to look good because this is something that the client is probably going to see. So if you don't draw well, get the pictures and get some tracing paper and trace it. There's absolutely no shame in that. You're not trying to make a finished illustration piece here. All you're trying to do is get your idea down on paper. So it's completely acceptable to trace things to make it look good so that the client can look at it and get the idea that's in your head and say, yeah, that looks like it's going in the right direction. So just keep that in mind. I said there was another way to go about this, and this is an area where some people nowadays jump on the computer and do the roughs on the computer. There, that's, it's not the wrong way to do it because you've already gone through that thought process. You've already got your thumbnails down. 
One thing you might want to do is actually make a quick sketch a little bit bigger. Roughs are usually about a quarter of the size of the finished piece. So you might want to get those things down uh, on paper and then you can scan them in and pull them into Photoshop to use as a template. That's one way to go about it. Uh, or you might just want to jump into Photoshop right away. Photoshop is pretty easy for these things. Once you get all your assets in place, all your photos, your text, if you're going to use Greek text or whatever, once you get those things in place, it's very easy to move them around very quickly. Plus in Photoshop, you can thing, use things like, uh, like the layer comps, which allows you to use only one document, but have several different comps or rough drafts of what you want the thing to look like. That comes in very handy as well. And it's just the day and age that we're in. A lot of people use soft proofs these days. A lot of people do uh, remote work. They're, they're telecommuting. They're sending things across the country to people. So you can always do your drawings, scan them in, and send them across the country to people like that. But of course, it is easier to have this stuff on the computer already. That way you can send your, your soft proofs, which is basically a PDF, and have people sign off on things that way. So like I said, a couple different ways to go about it. There's not really a wrong way. It just seems to be progressing more and more towards people jumping on the computer early and earlier. But... The one thing to remember is you don't want to jump on the computer right off the bat. You want to get through that thought process and get your ideas down on paper, and then you can do it. And uh, not sure if I mentioned this before, but this is the first time we're going to be showing the client what we've done. So you're going to take those samples, however many they are, and you're going to be showing them to them. And that's going to help you move on to your final comp. The keys to the game. The key command for today is to preview in Illustrator. And if you've never used this before, then uh, this might come in quite handy actually. What it is basically is a way to toggle in between the two views, one of which is probably the normal one that you've seen before where you can see fills and strokes, you can see all the colors that are in your document. The other one is to actually where you only see paths and points. And this is a very good way. I think this is something that was brought up to me in school. It's a very good way. Sometimes you grab the type tool in Illustrator and you put it, put down a point. Maybe you don't mean to. So you grab the selection tool and just get out of it. But there's still a point there because it was waiting for you to put type in. But it looks invisible to you in the regular view. Now, if you use this key command, you can go into the other view and you'll see all those points. And you definitely don't want just random points in your in your document that don't belong there so that's a good way to get rid of them but useful for other things as well anyways on the mac you're going to press command and y and on the pc it's control and y so the next piece to our puzzle is actually getting that final draft worked up we've taken our samples to the client or to the marketing person and they have chosen the one that that best fits the direction that they want to go with the design so again, this could go two different ways. If you're that person who has just been drawing on paper, then you might choose to do your final draft also as a drawing on paper. If you are already on the computer, obviously the next step is going to be just getting into Photoshop and molding that into your final draft. And a lot of people, myself included, like to do that final draft in Photoshop, even if it's going to be going into InDesign or into some kind of web design program. It's good to get it all laid out in Photoshop because, you know, especially if that's where you did your roughs, that's a great place to start. Now, if you draw your final draft, 
again, you might want to scan that in and use it as a template for Photoshop so you can get everything placed in the right place, get it all set up, and then you can move on to the next, uh, the next application, which would, of course, be the one that you're going to finish in. Really, you're using Photoshop as a stepping stone to get to those other applications, your page layout applications, your web page, uh, other things like that. And Photoshop is also good because if you're doing something like an animation, a lot of people do this, they'll draw out the different frames of the animation, scan them in, and then bring them into either Flash or After Effects or something where they can actually make it move. Now, it doesn't actually look like the animation, of course, but it is... You can put it into a movie form to where you can watch it and you can understand the timing of things and what kind of action is going to be going on and that kind of stuff. So also helpful for that reason. But all in all, Photoshop makes it easy to make changes. Like I said before, if you have all your items in there, all your assets, all your photos, your text, your graphics, it's easy to move things around very quickly and get different comps out of that. So that's, this is why people use Photoshop. Once you have that done, you're going to start moving it into the other applications. And this is where it pays off too, especially for web design. I think a lot of people use this for web design because once you have your page laid out in Photoshop, first of all, you can measure stuff and, and figure out how far apart you want things and translate that into your code or into your WYSIWYG editor, whatever you use. You can also use it for grabbing the images. I like to make duplicates of the document and just single out the different images and that's how I export them. That's how I turn them into a PSD and get them over into my InDesign, all that kind of good stuff. And I do the same thing for the web as well. You can single out those images, save them for web, blah, blah, blah. You're out the door. So it makes things very easy that way as well. And of course, when you're doing web, you can start slicing things up and just saving the slices and that, that also makes it a very quick process. And I believe we looked at that in one of the Quick Tips episodes, if you want to check that out. It was about making a, uh, a menu, uh, a navigation menu. So once we get this whole final draft all worked up, or final comp, I guess you would say, then we're have to, going to have to go back to the client again. And this is where the fun begins. This is where we do the drafts and approval. You're going to go through several different iterations in most cases because there's always something that they want to change. It's just... Uh, it's just the, the rule of thumb that you're never going to get it right on the first time. If you do, then chances are the client is just going to accept anything that you do, which isn't always the best thing. It's, it's good when people challenge you to change things because it makes you look at it in a different way or think about things in a different way. And that's always good as a designer. You always want to have those challenges around. So uh, again, try not to be too offended when people tell you they want to change something. Now, with that said, not all the changes are going to be good. But what we're trying to do in this area is please the customer. Because the customer is always king. The customer is always right. You hear these things all the time. It's true. If you want to make money, then you better listen to what they're saying. Because when it all comes down to it, they're the one paying for it. They ultimately get to decide whatever they want. It might not be the best design. It might be against everything that you stand for. But if you want to make that money, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and say, okay, I'll do it. So again, some of these suggestions that they make are not going to be the best ones. I constantly get people telling me to make images larger so that they can fill up the page or make the text larger. We want this text 80 point. 
well, you know, you could, this is where you have to decide what's going to happen. Are you going to go back and try and try and pull on them a little bit and say, you know what, we don't want to slap people in the face with this 80 point text. Uh, it's just too big. You don't need it that big. Or are you just going to say, yes, I'll do it. And this is something that, again, we talked about this before, but this is something that just kind of goes per project, per client. You have to feel the situation out and decide whether you have that leeway to be able to go back to them and say, I don't think that's a good idea. Or are they going to be completely offended if you do that? There are some people that are like that. I personally think that it's our job as designer to try and steer these people in the right direction to make designs look right. Some other people may disagree. And again, you can't ever take it to that point to where you're making them angry by suggesting things or trying to actually just take over the whole process of what the thing is going to look like. You can't do that. This is their, this is their project just as much or even more than it is yours. So you have to keep that in mind, but you really have to feel out the situation and know whether you can make those suggestions to them or not. So we're going to start with the final draft that we made and send that to them. And we're just going to go from there and see what they think. And like I said, most likely there are going to be some changes. So we're going to tweak things. If ever we make a significant change to the design and I don't know the best way to explain this, but if you're just changing some typos or if you're changing a little bit of text, I would say that's probably not a significant change. That's something you know they want. If there is something major going on with the design, if uh, all the type was left left justified and now it's right and the picture moved to the other side, that's a pretty significant change. You're going to want to send it to them again and get them to sign off on it. And by sign off, I mean actually sign something, either a little... Some people have little pages, little post-it notes that say, you know, I have seen the changes and I agree to go forward with this design as as seen or whatever. And there's a checkbox and they have to sign it and date it. You can also have them sign right on the proof, which is sometimes a good idea because that even cements it more and shows that they looked at this proof and they signed off on it. But you want something there because... This is just another way to cover your ass so that you don't get down to the final draft of this thing. And they say, well, I didn't want that in there because you can go back to that comp, to that iteration and say, well, it was in this one and you signed off on it as saying you, you were okay with the direction of the piece. So yes, it looks like you were okay with that and you did want that in there at that point. Now, if you change your mind now, that's fine. But now we're, we're getting into new territory now. We're actually adding on to this and I'm going to have to charge you more because that wasn't part of the initial process. It might not always be that easy, but this is the kind of, uh, this is the kind of power it gives you to have them sign off on everything. They, they can't basically call you a liar and say, I didn't want that photo in there or I didn't want the, uh, the graphics looking like that because you have something that says that they did see it and they were okay with it. Just always get them to sign off on everything that you can. Again, if you're working remotely, this might be some some case where you have to maybe send them a PDF, have them print it out, sign it, and fax it to you. Uh, if that's too much trouble, you might actually have to print out the, the comp yourself and send it to them and, and have them do it that way. But whatever the case, try and get that signature on there. It's really going to help you out in the long run. 
Now, once we get to that glorious, glorious day where they actually sign off on the whole thing and we're done, now it's time to go into pre-flight and review mode. And this is a very important section of the project because this is our last chance to make sure that everything is right. Now, I was given a statistic when I was in school, and I have to pretty much believe it because I've seen some crazy stuff coming through from other designers, but uh, they told us that something like 80 or 90% of print jobs that go to the printer have some kind of mistakes in them, whether it be just errors in the document or things that are missing that should be there, stuff like that. But this is what we're trying to avoid. So again, we need to make sure that we run the spell check. It's there for a reason. Make sure you run it. If you have some kind of grammar check, maybe do that as well. Uh, depending on where you get your text, these are things that can pop up and it, it might not necessarily be your fault, but if it goes to the printer with those errors, it is your fault because you're supposed to be the one checking to make sure that these errors are eliminated. And that goes for things like double spaces after a period too. Make sure you run the, uh, the little command to get rid of those. And uh, if you don't remember that, the best way to do that is to do a find and replace. And you're trying to find two space bars and you're replacing with one space bar. That's the easiest way to get rid of those. But just simple stuff like that. You have to have massive attention to detail here because you need to make sure that every single thing is right. All your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed or whatever. The next thing is image formatting. You want to make sure that your images are, are the right format for what they need to be used for, that they're in the right color space, that they are not wasting uh, file size, I guess I would say. And by this, I mean, you don't have a humongous picture of which you're only using maybe 25% of, and the rest is just hanging outside of the box. Uh, that, of course, is for layout. But also, if you're doing web, you want to make sure that everything is optimized for the web. You don't want a 300 PPI image in your web page because it's going to take forever to load. On the same, on the flip side of that token, you want to make sure that if you're doing a high res print project, that something is not 72 or 96 PPI because it's going to come out looking like crap. You want to make sure that all your fonts are included if you're doing some kind of print project where you're needing to send all the files to the printer. They might not have the, the fonts installed that you used in your document, so make sure the fonts are all included. Make sure all your files are linked. This is a huge one, obviously, for websites. You don't want to put a website up and you're missing images or you're missing include files or whatever, whatever it might be. Also, again, when you're sending to the printer, make sure all your image files are in the images folder, all your fonts are in the fonts folder, so that when the software goes, the application goes to find those things, to plug them in, they're not missing and you don't get the, uh, you don't want to send something to the printer. He tries to open it up and all of a sudden there's an error because it can't find everything that it needs. And this is a huge, huge one also for video production. If you have all kinds of different assets in a video, they open up Premiere or Final Cut Pro. They're going to get all kinds of errors if you send it to somebody else. If all those files aren't included it's good to keep everything organized. I've said this many times before. It'll help you make sure that everything is there. But also, if you're in certain programs, like InDesign, I know has it. Quark has somewhat of, of a plugin for pre-flighting. I think InDesign's is a little more developed and helps you out a little bit more. There also is some external software that you can buy. I think it's called Flight Check Studio. Not exactly sure. I think I put up a link before, but I'll try and find that link as well. 
and uh, put it up in the show notes. But there are external applications that you can use, which will go through and do this stuff for you. It makes sure all your fonts are correct. Make sure they're not true type. It makes sure they're type one or open type. Uh, it makes sure that all your images are CMYK if you're going to print. Uh, it does a lot of this stuff for you and it can find errors and it really helps out. It's almost like running a spell check for all the rest of the things that could go wrong with your uh, with your document. So be sure to use that stuff. The best The best thing to do here is just to have that attention to detail. Go through your document line by line if that makes sense. I mean, if you're doing a book, obviously that's probably not going to be the case, but if you're doing a brochure, I will usually actually go through it line by line and make sure that everything looks right. Everything sounds right. It's always good to read things out loud to yourself because it's a good way to catch errors. Sometimes when you read things in your head, you don't, you don't catch those errors as, as readily as you do when you're reading it out loud to yourself and something sounds funny. But again, this is a very important step of this because we need to make sure that there are no errors going in. It it just reflects badly on you or your company. If something comes back from the printer and it has an error, if it's costing extra because of that error. And of course, if it is your fault, you should be picking up those charges and not passing them on to the client. So obviously just a very important step. I can't stress that enough. Once we get everything squared away and everything is finalized and finished, it's time to invoice our customer. And there's a couple different ways to go about this as well. Basically what we're doing here is sending for the remaining balance due on the project. And I say remaining balance because we got a deposit up front, which was however much, 25%, 50%, whatever you got, you need to now get the rest of the money for that. Now the first way you can go about this is you can have them pay you at the delivery of the project. Some people who maybe a little more paranoid would probably do this. I actually don't do this. It doesn't mean you are paranoid if you do that. For some people, maybe it's just a good idea to help you remember to get the money because sometimes invoices can start going out and out and out and nothing comes in and you forget about things. So that's one way to do it. I actually say you have 15 days to pay me once the project has been delivered. And this, both of these things should be in the contract. You want to let the, the customer know upfront whether they're going to have to pay you when they get the project or if they're going to have a little leeway after the project is delivered. On mine, I actually go even further than that to make sure that people pay on time. I give them 15 days, but if they don't pay within 15 days, there's uh, somewhat of a finance charge on it. There's some interest that kind of builds up if they take longer and longer. So it kind of just uh, gives them a kick in the pants and, and makes them pay on time. So that might be another good thing to do. And that, of course, also has to be in the contract. You can't just spring these things on people. They have to know that uh, what's coming. They have to know what's coming. When that all gets squared away... Oh, and one, thing, one other thing I wanted to mention. I think I've said this before. When you get finished with a project, uh, certain other things might need to happen. If you're doing a website, especially if you're doing a smaller website for a small business, sometimes they'll ask you to actually go live with that for you, actually put it up to their server because they obviously don't know how to do that. So that's something extra that you might have to put in to your to your estimation or maybe just bill them for separately. Uh, that's something you might want to put into your contract if you're doing a website that um, your estimate doesn't include things like maintenance or uploading or any kind of stuff like that. So keep that in mind also. And I've said before with print projects, 
I usually don't recommend printers for people. I let them find their own. But once they find their printer, I like to work directly with the printer instead of having the middleman of sending things to the client and then having the client send it to them. Because then if there's problems, the printer contacts the client and the client contacts me and things just get lost in translation. So I like to deal directly with the printer, send him the files, make sure everything looks okay. Once he says, okay, everything looks good. Sometimes I'll even take the proof too. That's a good idea. Take the proof and make sure everything is correct. Once that's done, then they can go to production and you're completely done. But those are things you might want to keep in mind. You might want to actually do that for your clients. They'll definitely appreciate it and it'll help you make sure that everything turns out okay after after you're done with, with the, the document or the piece. Just a good thing to do, I think. So once we get paid for doing the job, everything's done, right? Not exactly. There is one last final piece and more than being a designer, if you're a freelancer, you're also a business person. You're running a business. You're trying to get people to be re- repeat customers, come back to you every time they need something. And a good way to make sure that this happens is to thank your client and to do some kind of follow-up. It could be as simple as just sending them an email saying thank you for your business. And you should absolutely always do that, especially if you've been corresponding through email, send them an email. If you've been talking to to them on the phone, once everything is done, give them one last call and say, thank you very much for your business. Uh, I hope if anything else comes up that I can help you out with that as well. Uh, Other routes that you can go, you can send them a card or an email. And the one thing I say with these two things is try not to make it look too generic. Don't make it look like you have a standard thank you card that you send to everybody and their brother once you're done with their project. And even if you do have a card like that, Make sure you write some handwrite something in it. Make it personalized because that'll make them feel more important, makes them feel better about you as a business, you as a person, and it'll just overall make you look better. And the thing is, again, you want them to, when something else comes up, that you want them to come back to you and give you the business. So make sure you do all that you can to make that happen. Other things you might want to do is have some kind of newsletter. If you, if you have enough going on about your business, maybe have a quarterly newsletter or something like that to where you're saying, telling them about different jobs that you've done, maybe showing them pictures of other things that you've done to get them excited about your style of design. Uh, Or you could just send some kind of postcard. Uh, The email again, I'm not talking about just a text email. You might send out an actual HTML email, something fancy looking, but just things to remind them that you're there. So that again, whenever they have a design problem, something that they need to get done, they're going to come back to you and give you that business again, and it's going to help you out. So that's about it. That's basically my steps to a freelance job. I know I probably missed lots of things along the way, but it's hard to think of everything when you're not actually doing it. But this should be a a good basis, a good foundation for the things, for the steps that you should be going through to make it a successful job and really uh, make sure that you're not losing out on any money And make sure that your client isn't losing out on any quality of the design because you've thought everything out, you've put it down on paper, you've gone through all the necessary steps to make sure that everything is correct, and you should have something good to to show for it. So hopefully this will help you out in your workflow and uh, help you to secure many, many prosperous projects. Now that's what I call a rookie mistake. 
Our mistake tip for today comes from a couple of different things that I actually learned through uh, doing freelance jobs. A couple of things that I did that I wish I hadn't have done. So I'm going to share them with you. Hopefully you won't do them. The first thing is to make sure that you separate projects on contracts. I got into a situation where I did this a couple of times. I put two projects on one contract and what seems to always happen when you do that is you finish one of the projects and it's all done and you're ready to get paid for that one. But the other project is held up by something. Uh, many times it's not even your fault. It's they haven't give you, given you what you need to get started on the project yet, but it just seems to be one of those things that that's always going to happen. So try and separate each project onto its own contract so that when you're done with that one particular project, you can get paid for it. Now, if you don't mind waiting to get paid, then by all means, you can put several projects on one contract, but I just don't recommend that. It's always good to get paid for something very soon after you finish it. The other thing I try to do is get paid before taking on new jobs. And this is something else that I did. If you get in a situation where you're doing lots and lots of jobs for one client, which many times happens, you'll get a job doing their business ID, doing their letterhead and, and business cards and stuff like that. And they like the job that you did on that. So they're going to give you this job and that job and all this. That's very good. Obviously, that's what you want to happen. But make sure that you get paid for your first job before taking on seven other jobs. It's just a good way to make sure that they know that you're not on this running account to where they can just pay you at the, the end of all those projects. You want to get paid, again, after each and every project that you finish because you need to get, keep your business going. You have bills to pay. You have new equipment you may need to buy or software. You need to get paid when you finish the job. So keep those things in mind. Things are getting a bit out of hand. Looks like it's time to go to the bullpen. The website for today is something that I just ran across while I was looking for different websites about brainstorming. And the one that I found is, uh, it's called rightdesignonline.com. And the, the actual URL is longer than that. So I'm going to put it up as always on the show notes. You can find that at rookiedesigner.com slash rookie. But this is, they just go into a little bit about brainstorming and different ways to get your ideas down on paper. They have all kinds of uh, trees charts, all kinds of things, just ways to organize your thoughts. Uh, they go into a little bit about thumbnails. I think it's just a good resource for if you, if you have problems getting your ideas out and organizing them, this is probably a good thing to look at. Uh, it's a good thing to look at anyways, but if you're already set in your ways, you have a process that works for you. Maybe it's not so important, but if you don't, I would definitely give this a, a look-see and uh, it'll probably help you out a little bit. Well, that's about it for this one. Uh, just a few notes at the end here. I want to remind everybody to watch Quick Tips for Designers, especially in the month of January, because I need your downloads so I can get paid. Yes, I do have the Hitachi ads running again. And also, you know, it never hurts to pick up some good tips in the applications that you use all the time. So check it out, rookiedesigner.com slash quick tips. I also would like you to keep telling a friend about this podcast. Tell your friends, your coworkers, your schoolmates, anybody who wants to learn anything about design. If you like this show, then you could probably give a pretty good endorsement to your friends about how they should listen to it. So please keep doing that. Uh, we want this year to be a successful one. We want to grow our audience even more so that we have more people to interact with and uh, all that good stuff. 
If you want to contact me, you always can. You can do that several different ways. You can email me at adam at rookiedesigner.com. You can go to myspace.com slash rookiedesigner. And if you're into MySpace and all that, that will be good for you. You can use the call-in line, which is 619-573-4043. And remember, if you're outside the United States, you have to use a 1 and the country code as well. You can also Skype me at username TitanStrides. And both that and the call-in line will go to a message machine where you can leave me a voicemail. And I will get back to you whichever way I can. And of course, the best way to do that, to get online and to talk to people, talk to me and other people, is to go to the forum and register for that if you have not. Or uh, if you are registered, please start posting. There hasn't been much activity up there lately other than the spammers. They've been kind of taking it over. But uh, like I said, we're trying to tone that down and we need people to uh, start talking to each other. It's a great way to, to interact with other designers, learn things from them, ask questions, answer questions, or just BS with somebody in the lounge. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's just a good thing to do, and it's good to meet people who do the same things that you do. Uh, I think it's going to help you out in your career, and uh, you never know where it might go. You know, You might make a good contact that you can actually use to get a job. And speaking of that, I totally forgot about this. Uh, there actually was a post... Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. There's a post from one of our users, Adrian, and he put up a post about a job. And I'm not going to go into the details. Uh, I'm not sure if he wanted me to mention it or not, but it looks like nobody is, has given a response on it. But there is a job that he's leaving, so he put up some details where if you are interested in that job and you're in that area, maybe you might be able to be a candidate for the job. So uh, just another good reason to get up on the forum. And I want to encourage anybody else who wants to do this. I think it's a great thing. Now, this isn't going to turn into a job board, but if you're in a position like this where you're leaving and you know they're going to backfill the position, or if you're working somewhere where there's a job opening, any kind of situation like that, and you want to put a post up uh, telling people about it so that if they're in that area, they might be able to apply for the job. I think that's an excellent idea. Uh, I will definitely do the same. Uh, I think I've given a lot of different references of where to go and look for jobs, but this is just a more intimate way of doing it, I think, and maybe give people a little bit of an edge on getting that job. So uh, if you know about something like that, that'd be great if you want to do that. But uh, definitely get up on the forum, read what's up there, and put in your own opinions about different things. I think it's a great thing to do. Anyways, I want to thank everybody for listening. Again, if there's first-time listeners with us today, I hope this was a good introduction into this show. And uh, if you are a first-time listener, you probably want to go back and listen to the episode before this because it is the first half of this one. But uh, thank you, everyone, especially those of you who have been with me for a long time. And keep listening and keep subscribing. And I want to wish everybody a happy new year. I hope this is a very prosperous year for all of us. And just remember... Everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star. That one's high. It's got the distance. It's high. You know we tried to make you understand. Tried to make you realize Her fame is down and time is up But somehow it don't seem enough 
Cause the world wouldn't listen anymore Caught by social evil Was a streetwise